you come in with a really solid plan, you work that plan, just like, you know, the four or five steps I just gave, it doesn't have to be a hard conversation. It doesn't have to be an uncomfortable conversation, but it will be a lot easier to have if it's in the context of a really great environment and a professional, friendly relationship that you have with those, with those team members. Are you a music school owner looking to scale your program from just a handful of teachers to a highly profitable, well-organized, and mission-driven company? Well, I'm Nate Shaw, co-founder of the Brooklyn Music Factory. And I'm Daniel Patterson, founder of Grow Your Music Studio, and we're here to help you discover a proven pathway to sustainable growth in your music school. So get ready to take your passion for music education and scale it to a seven-figure music school. So have a situation that's come up for me recently, and I think your perspective on this could be really interesting. And I've heard this question from clients of mine, Mm -hmm. and I know that you have experience with this, and I've even experienced this myself. And I think it would be good for both of us to unpack this from two different perspectives. And that is the question of what happens when an employee comes to you, whether it's a teacher, whether it is a support staff member, and asks for a raise. You know, we're in interesting economic times right now where we keep hearing in the zeitgeist in, of small business that it's hard to find good help right now. And that offers an interesting leverage point for team members. And so let's unpack what to do when this happens. And um, when was the last time this happened for you, Nate? <laughs> last week? No. <laughs> it happens regularly. And uh, it's such a good question, Daniel, because I don't know about you, but for me, like my money story is something I've been working through. Well, you and I have talked about this a bunch, actually, but my money story has been something I've been personally working through for years, trying to get to the other side of it and not have like have it be like that thing that just immediately when we start talking about money, like it pushes my buttons, right? And mm. so it's such a great question because we can't really be good leaders. We can't really be good mentors and good studio owners or school owners if every time someone asks for a raise, we just go into a rage, you know, yeah. like, we're like, what? How dare you? Um, so it's you know, a great question. That's interesting because it's, and I'm not going to make any implication here that you, that your reaction is to fly into a rage, but the, the thought that I had, the, the mm. dominant emotion that I see from clients or I've seen from clients over the years is more like panic. Yes. They either feel unprepared or they're not sure how to handle it. And mm-hmm. um, I think that probably for me, it does raise some uncomfortable feelings because there is a certain amount of emotion and affection that I have for team members. Yes. And there's also the assumption that we all need to feel weird when we talk about money. Yeah. Um, and so those feelings of discomfort for me in the past have, and it's not so true now, but for me in the past, it's been, well, I, I need to figure out how to, to, to solve this issue as fast as possible yeah. so that we can go back to being friends again, or so that we can yeah. go back to, to, to there being equilibrium in the relationship. That's so good. And, and yeah, you, you 
you really, actually, I think, dude, you hit it more closely to how I feel. I kind of have this feeling like, like, it's sort of like, wait, what? Are we not friends anymore? Just because they're asking to, because they're saying like, I need more money because my rent went up or whatever. They're just trying to revalue themselves. They're trying to figure it out. So yeah, it's an awesome question. And it's, and, and it happened, of course, it is at a school the size of Brooklyn Music Factory. Of course, it happens regularly. You know, we're hiring, mm-hmm. we're constantly working on strategies to retain great um, staff and teachers. And they're, you know, we've talked about this in previous episodes, but, you know, it's, it, it, it's never an us versus them. You know, I'm not worried. I don't want to get into solutions yet because I want to just sit in this for a minute and really try to unpack what the real question is when someone asks for a raise. Mm. But it, they're just like you and I. They're just trying to solve their own financial picture with whatever clarity they have. So they think you're my boss. I'm going to come to you because I'm saving up to buy a car or whatever. So they're, they're just naturally coming to us and saying, I'd like a raise. You know, and so we need to kind of, we need to, we need to do two things as we try to unpack this question and come up with some possible solutions that everybody can test. Um, we need to first just deal with our emotional response to it, um, whether it be, you know, offense, rage, panic. And then second, we need to say, oh, how do I systematically prepare to answer a question like this? You know, again, taking that 10,000-foot view on our company rather than the 1,000-foot, which is the ground level, which is usually leads to panic because we're like, wait, if I don't give you a raise, does that mean you're going to quit tomorrow, which means I have 25 piano students that don't have a teacher, right? Which is yes. the total irrational panic, though yeah. I've felt it many times. So along these lines, I think we even need to examine the form of the question because I've actually received that question before. And the logical answer to that is, okay, so you want to know how to handle them asking for it? Right. Um, Okay, one, have a conversation. Two, come up with a solution. Done. So I think, you know, we are are dealing with an emotional thing. And, And there was something that was really influential that I read five years ago. Um, from a, from a business coach. And he said, the, the topic of employee compensation Mm -hmm. is a game that you can definitely lose, but you can't win. You can at best hope for a draw. Mm. Okay. Now that sounds a little pessimistic. Yeah. Well, he further elaborated by saying, um, you're 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 stuck in 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 uh, two possible wrong answers. Hmm. You can underpay, and again, connected to the emotional question, this could be oh panic, fear, the business, oh no, revenue. You can underpay and try to get the best work out of really talented people, but over time, this breeds resentment. Or you can overpay and try to throw money at your problems. And I think this comes down to who the business owner is, because we'll either try to buy our way out of a problem and avoid the hard conversation, or we will, uh, you know, let uh, uh, the devil on our shoulder tell us to underpay. But if you do overpay, his kind of his kind of thought was that um, now you have entitled prima donnas that are working for you, who who right. who are um, who you are slowly ruining. And and the thought was that 
you need to base, and I think this is where we're going, Nate, but you need to base this question of compensation on shocker facts, data, and evidence-based approach and really figure out what is this person worth to the business? Not what is this person worth, but what are they worth to the business? Which you can ask that about yourself. So I want to, I want to depressurize that statement. Um, we're not judging the worth of someone, but each person has a worth. They're contributing something to the, the business and, and those salaries are an investment. So I think we've kind of given the big picture away here, but I think now we can kind of dive down and say, what is it that we're actually trying to do? And what can we do when it comes to, you know, this person, this 23 year old, this, you know, teacher or support team member comes to you and says, Hey, you know, I can't pay the rent and um, I want to stay here, but I'm going to need more. So I think that's a good way to start out, Nate. And I'm going to volley it back over to you because I'm sure there's probably a big picture thought that you have. And maybe we can dive in deeper from there. But yeah, what are you, what are you hearing right now? Yeah. So I'm going to take that first, that, that the main point that you just shared there and which I mean, you know, I, I'm, I'm a data guy. I freaking love numbers and I love the stories that the numbers tell. And I love the stories that they tell about our business. Um, and, uh, and for all of you listening that don't love numbers, the first way to actually get comfortable with numbers is to just reframe them as stories. Be like, huh. Mm. So someone comes to me and says, I'm making 35 an hour right now as a teacher. I'd like 40 an hour. Let me give you a concrete example of data that we look at at Brooklyn Music Factory mm. to make a simple choice. Because I'm going to also, as you're not, I'm, pro- I'm sure you're not surprised by this, Daniel, but I'm also going to offer a couple of other views on that question. Um, but the I f- think I even have something to throw in there as well, but yeah, yeah. I want to hear yours first. So the first data point we look at is we look at the teacher's retention rate. I'm just like, okay, well, what's this retention rate for this teacher over the years? And it's not like it's private knowledge. We talk publicly. We'll talk at our all staff meeting this Friday about retention and how important a number it is. You know, if you're a, if you're a SaaS company, they're always talking about churn. You know, they're, it's the same idea. We're just, I mean, students are um, the customers, right? And so when a teacher comes and says, "I'd like a five dollar raise," which Incidentally, is a pretty large raise going from $35 to $40. You know, it's, and we'll talk about what an appropriate raise might be in a moment, but um, I'm going to go there. I'm going to say, well, what's the average retention rate at Brooklyn Music Factory across all teachers? For us, it's, it's in the like 68 to 80 percentile range, right? And some people might be listening with, that have small studios and be like, what? You lose 20% of your students over every year? On average, but the reality is, when you get up to six to seven to eight hundred students, you know you're looking for it, the numbers can be slightly different, right? Because they scale uh, differently. But at any rate, so we look there. So let's say someone comes and says, "I want a five dollar raise," and I look at the retention, and the retention's at forty two percent. I'm not going to say no, but I'm going to just simply ask, "What do you think's happening here?" Right, right. I'm just going to go to that number, um, and so. Do you really need to know exactly what your average retention rate is for your school over the last five years? No, you don't need to know that. But you can intuit it. Yeah. Um, and one just word to the wise, because I made this mistake. I make, I still make this mistake, dude, over and over, and it bums me out. Do not use you as the example 
for the ideal retention rate. That's totally unfair. I teach Mm -hmm. seven students and have 100% retention, but I've been teaching for 32 years and I have seven students that I plan on taking all the way to college and they're like nine to 13 right now. They know it. We talk that way. But don't use you as the sample. You know, that can't be the sample. Yeah. (laughs) Because it's unfair. You have to look at all of your other teachers and be like, okay, what what are you actually retaining at? So anyways, that's a concrete data point that we'll use. And then we'll have an open conversation around it. Um, Can you bullet point for me? Are there other data points that you look at for teachers other than the retention rate? Yeah. Without diving into them too deeply. I wonder what some of those others are. Totally. Some of the other bullets are just... We offer a raise every single year, no matter what. We, I mean, not no matter what. Obviously, if they're totally an underperforming staff member or teacher and we're trying to coach them out, that's a whole different podcast episode. But More let's just likely. assume this is someone where we're like, they, they're, they're good. They're, they're, a, they're a solid um, member of your team. You see a lot of potential. You really want to take the question seriously when they come and ask for a raise. The other data points we'll look at, we'll look at, well, when was the last time you had a raise other than the automatic? Like, for example, we automatically add a dollar a year to your hourly. You know, mm-hmm. we automatically do a 3% raise for our staff every year. We did it in COVID, even though we were, you know, it was a really difficult time, but we yeah. still honored that 3% raise. So, so, but it doesn't mean that everybody has only gotten that raise over time. People come and we're like, actually, you're a high performer. We're going to give you a 10% or a 15% raise this season. And so we'll look at that data point. We'll be like, well, wait a minute, dude. You Actually, you just came to us and asked for a raise five months ago. Mm-hmm. So it would be appropriate for us to talk about this in a year. Yeah. Not, not right now. Um, yeah. Other data points we'll look at. Um, let me think about that in terms of, yeah, we, I mean, just to bullet it, um, we'll look to see, uh, you know, other than retention, we'll look to see if there's actually been any issues. Like, so every single one of our employees, I mean, every company does this and this is appropriate, yeah. but everybody has a little file and you're like, if there's been some communication issues, if, they're, if they've been sick uh, or, or they've been uh, trying to reschedule more than the company policy, you know, we have very clear guidelines. Um, we look at those things and we're like, huh. We even look at another data point, Daniel, we look at is we measure whether or not lesson reports are sent uh, within 24 hours every week. After no, that actually, yeah, no, that actually goes back to a previous episode as well, because that is something that uh, BMF measures specifically yep. as a uh, just a, a teacher evaluation tool. So it makes sense then that some of those things that you are using as a yardstick for the job performance of the teacher would then be factored in. Um, Can I make one? Oh yeah, please. Before you go on with that, Daniel, let me make a nuance on that. Let me just nuance this for people because sometimes, especially if you're just starting to scale your studio and you were like me years ago or like uh, you, Daniel, you have a you have a small, really tight team at your company, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and there was a time in Brooklyn Music Factory's history where, I mean, like I hired all my friends, you know, so it's a tight knit crew. <laughs> and so, for those of you that are at that stage of growth, this can feel sort of Big Brotherish. You're like, wait, what? You measure whether or not they've sent a lesson report every week. Um, and so, here's the nuance I want to put on it. 
This is not something like, you know, our admin staff measures and looks at every week on their own. No, this is just a normal point that at every department meeting, everybody just reports how they're doing. Everybody reports on their big three. And one of the big three is, am I sending my lesson reports? You know, what percentage of my lesson reports have been sent? You know, I'm doing the same thing, dude, when I'm in the piano department meeting. I type it in. Everybody knows what every, how everybody's doing. It's supposed to be a launch point for everyone to understand, oh, this is the value of that, right? But it also helps when coming to a difficult or a potentially difficult conversation around a raise. Yeah. Now, what's interesting, at least I think is interesting, uh, at, in this conversation, we are drawing from personal experience um, the questions we probably had when this happened to us and, and how we navigated through it. Um, there is a sense, though, that this is only reflective of, reflective of our experience it would be interesting to gather questions that people listening or watching have. And Mm. I'm just going to say this, it's actually possible for us to do that because at any given time, anyone who's listening or watching can go to growyourmusicstudio.com slash seven FMS and ask us a question. And while we'll probably not do a second episode in this topic, we have a lot. uh, We're very open to the idea of even meeting with people in small groups around certain topics and, um, answering questions that folks have that maybe we didn't think about here on the actual episode. So I'd urge people to go there and uh, submit questions or give us feedback on the episode, that sort of thing. And um, we can insert your voice into, into the, uh, into the conversation here. Can I give an example of a really concrete question that I, I mean, I'm going to just share if I were writing into us, here's a question (laughs) that I would ask because I have this question. I've, I've I've really struggled with it, and I'm sure people listening have similar, um, very specific questions. Like when someone comes and says, "I was hired at thirty dollars an hour, but now I want forty dollars an hour. I want to raise." Mm-hmm. Is that appropriate to have that a ten dollar raise? You, you know, it's hard for us to know, right? So that's a very specific question. And then I started mm-hmm. the 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 answer I came up with was, of course. You know, I reached out to my network and I said, well, like, how do, how's, how are other people doing this? You know, how do you even know? And so you first um, reach out to your network and I found like, oh, well, I went and pulled all of the other programs in Brooklyn that, you know, I, would, I don't like to use like direct competition, but they were there out there. And I just said, you know, I'm friends with some of them. And I was just like, how, how much do you pay your teachers? And so mm-hmm. then I started gauging, well, what's market rate? Right. And I knew if we were below it or if we were at it or if we were above it. And so when someone comes and asks a question like, can I get a $10 raise to $40 an hour? In the case of Brooklyn, our market rate is right around the is, is between like 38 and like 42 to $44. Like that's the hourly. That's about the average. Right. And so I know when I'm looking at, a, at, a, at an employee that comes in and ask for a raise, and they've only been with us for a year, and there may be a younger, less experienced teacher, and they're at 35 uh, an hour, and they're like, I want 45 an hour. Well, I already know it's a very easy answer to be like, that's not appropriate. Mm. I can't do 45 an hour, but I think it's great to work towards between 40 and 45 an hour. What do you think we'd need to do to get there? 
Mm. Anyways, so that's a very specific question that I've confronted. So if, if listeners are like, man, dude, I have a similar question, but it's a slightly different, like it's, a, you know, send it in because I don't know. I'm sure if, if Daniel and I don't know the answer, we got a lot of friends and we're willing to ask. I don't know about you, but I didn't get an owner's manual when I started my music school. And I wasted a lot of time on trial and error and making things up as I went along. But you don't have to do that. Nate and I are building a library of resources and tools exclusively for fans of this podcast. Go to growyourmusicstudio.com slash 7FMS and sign up to receive podcast updates, free resources, and even submit questions for us to answer on the podcast. That's growyourmusicstudio.com slash 7FMS. And we look forward to answering your questions. I loved your your list earlier. There's two thoughts that I would contribute as well, how I handled that question that you just asked. Mm-hmm. First one was um, in, in doing that market research, and I'm going to go more on the support staff side because that's where I have a, little, I have a lot more experience. Um, I used salary comparison websites. So salary.com, uh, if you know, from everything from video editors to executive assistants to uh, content managers, operations people, uh, I would go in and look and, and salary.com has a range of factors that contribute to it, such as years in the job, geographical location, whether they're remote or in person. And you can really get granular on um, what that role should be paid. But there was something that you actually told me that was helpful that that mm. that site when I, when I came to you about a year ago and, and we had a conversation about this, yeah, yeah, there was something that you said to me that didn't even register for me, and that is, you know, most of those roles in salary.com, they're referring to corporate America mm-hmm. um, when they talk about those roles. and that and, and this is where I think I'm going to volley it back to you that there's another factor at play there, which is they're not often talking about, or they're never talking about your business. Mm-hmm. They're rarely talking about small business when they're publishing these roles, but they're definitely not talking about your business. And so there is a, um, there there is a perspective that one needs to have, even when you're looking at data like that. And that is, you have to see again, what that person is worth to the company and what their role is doing and how um, that can be justified in, in the revenue profile that the, that the company has. But that's certainly a best practice that I had was doing that comparison. And so a lot of those questions I have like, well, what is this person, you know, uh, what is this person's role worth? That was yep. a yep. huge break, breakthrough point for me uh, many years ago and, and, and a good starting point. It's a great starting point. Honestly, I think it's a it's always going to be a balance between your network, reaching out to those you know and trust and asking them for help. Mm-hmm. Okay. And this is a perfect example. I, you just literally reach out and say, what are you paying? You know, uh, your A teachers, what are you paying your B teachers? What are you paying teachers that maybe aren't that strong? You know, and then you balance that with that kind of deep research you're talking about, you know, at salary.com or Glassdoor or one of those sites where you can really get amazing research done. I remember we had that conversation, dude, and I, I went straight to that site and did a whole pile of research around a marketing role I needed to hire for. So I was really grateful. 
Um, and so uh, I was just, I was actually digging through my files because I wanted to share one other data point. And I don't have the precise numbers here right now, but I'm going to just share the concept. Um, and then we'll, maybe we'll come back to it in another episode. But you can, you can research quite easily what the industry averages are across America for music schools and what they are op- what their operating expenses are down to what the percent for example I know very well what the average percent of total revenue that goes to rent it's uh, it's uh, 4% and why do I know that number so well because it's way lower than what I'm paying in Brooklyn <laughs> so mm. so I'm always trying to figure out how do I get it down to the national average you can also find out what percentage of revenue on average in America, across all music schools, go to pay employees. So why do I say this? Because, Daniel, your point is so valuable. You're like, you can do some deep research on a place like salary.com, et cetera, but you have to make sure you're always framing it correctly. For most of us, we're, we're very small businesses in the scheme of things. And so we want, to, we want to make sure we couple that information with information that's relative to the scale of our business, right? A, you know, a, a, a one or $2 million music school is a very, very small business, right? Um, a $300,000 music school is, an even, is a micro business, right? So when someone comes and says, well, I deserve to be paid $100,000 a year in my position as, an, as a piano teacher, it's it's you you can simply say if you're a million dollar school you're like I cannot afford to give ten percent of our income to you solely it right. doesn't jive with the average. Now I think we would look at that and balk at that number for uh, you know a piano teacher that's maybe teaching twenty thirty hours a week. But what about someone who has a much greater role in the company like they're they're you know a marketing manager you know they can perhaps go to a different type of business and justify that that cost. What do you say to someone or how do you hire for that role where maybe in a different industry, they'd be making a lot more? I'm curious. Yeah, what, are you, yeah. what are your thoughts on that? So, so do we need to put it in our notes? Cause this is, that's such a good question that it should be another episode in terms of why do people actually want to work at your school? Hmm. Which is a different question than how do you address the fact that you'll never actually be able to pay the industry average for that position? Right. right. Um, and the way I address it or the way I have addressed it to date, that's, I'd say, mostly worked, sometimes hasn't, <laughs> mm-hmm. but is, first of all, I've had to ask really hard questions of myself, like, as much as I really want a full-time, for example, marketing manager, do I actually need that for yes. my size? So then if I can't, I don't really. So here's, here's the spoiler. No, you don't need it. You know, yeah. I thought I needed it and I've, we've had, I've had, I had someone I really, really uh, loved in the position and we're great friends, et cetera. But the reality was, is like, I eventually scaled that position back to, you know, 20 hours a week and eventually it was like 10 hours a week, which is kind of more appropriate for, for our, our a, a school, our size. Um, and so then once you get down to those number of hours, you can start thinking like, well, Maybe I could pay 50 an hour. Maybe I could pay 30 an hour or whatever the appropriate amount is. So that's one answer to the question. The second answer to the question is, 
And this part is where it gets a little nebulous and people will be like, wait, Nate, that's a little bit of a cop out. But here's the deal is if you are running a business that is that you are so passionate about, you have such a clear mission as to why your music school matters in the town it's in, you will attract really, really good people because people want to work with people that have a vision, right? They want to make change. And so the dollar amount that they're getting paid Of course, that matters because we all have bills to pay, but the vision actually matters more to those people. Um, So anyways, that's another episode, but yeah, but it's a pitch. And, and, you know, uh, I remember one of the, sorry, last point, and then we'll, we'll, then we'll move forward because I want to, I want to cover a couple of other things about getting back to that uncomfortable conversation and how to approach it a little bit. Um, Interesting. That's where I want to go next too. Okay, good. Because I yeah. want to go back into the room where you're sweating, you're sweating bullets, and the person's waiting for your answer. <laughs> so we got we got to help we got to help you get through that moment. Um, but but what I wanted to share was one of the important breakthroughs for me um, around uh, attracting um, really great teachers or or staff was when someone was like Nate, it's it's um, it's all marketing. And marketing is all about sharing what you love, right? And so in the case of what we do, it's that we love to transform. I'm talking about we, the big we, all of us listeners, uh, and Daniel and myself, it's like we are in the business of transforming lives. In the case of music school owners, we're doing it through music education. And so when you're pitching a position in a program or in a school or in a company where you could potentially be changing people's lives, it all of a sudden becomes a very different conversation. It's not just about whether or not you pay market rate. That's all I'm going to say on that. Yeah. So my, my experience backs that up in that I even have a team member right now who is leaving, I'm not kidding, who is ending a job that pays more because this particular team member Mm. Um, has revealed and said to me, I love working here. (laughs) Um, We can't assume what's going on in the other person's mind. And this is, and having uh, a professional relationship, a relationship, but a professional one with the team um, being involved, being accessible, Mm-hmm. creating a great working environment, all of these things lead to making these conversations that much less uncomfortable. And that's where I really where I want to go next and potentially even where we end. Yep. So I want to at least give the answer for how I would answer the, the question I, we proposed at the top of the show, um, yep. at least from my perspective. And Nate, what I would invite you to do is if you hear anything interesting in there or you want me to elaborate on something more, I'm going to kind of rely on you to draw that out of me if I'm being unclear. Um, And then I would love to know how you would modify things or how you would do things differently. Mm -hmm. But I want to give a specific step-by-step, not super detailed, but a a step-by-step by by how I've handled this. Nice. um, Nice. This conversation. And what it looks like is one, I let the person know, you know, you know, we're coming up on your one year from when we originally hired you or, you know, your anniversary date, your third year anniversary, or it's the end of the year. Yep. And 
with advance notice, I just, I proactively put on the calendar that, Hey, let's talk about 2022. Let's, um, let's have a discussion about what we did this past year. Um, what's worked for you, what hasn't worked for you, where you have felt great about your contribution, where you feel unclear, where even maybe you feel uncomfortable. Now, keep in mind, when I either slack this or have a conversation in person or send an email about this, this isn't coming out of the blue. This is coming from a place of, I I speak that frankly to people all the time. We're in what you, in slack every day, leaving jokes for each other. Um, talking about the job, talking about things outside the job. Uh, like I blew up our Slack today because I saw the movie Dune last night and was absolutely blown away by it. So everyone in the company now knows that that this is like one of the best movies I've seen in the last 10 years. <laughs> They're already making fun of me about it in some respects. Um, and, uh, you know, that that's the environment in which this happens. So a date is put in the calendar. And then, you know, prior to that date, um, there is some setup material. I'm sending them questions, letting them know what the conversation is going to be about. I get to the conversation. They're ready. I'm ready. And we have the conversation. I am casual about it in a professional way, you know, but. I pause there for a second, Daniel. Just yeah. specificity. Give me, give us an example of one of the questions that they get in advance that they could prepare. Yeah. So I'm, I'm going to give a specific answer and then I'm going to give some homework to people listening. Um, so I actually gave a couple of them a second ago. Like what, what, how do you feel you contributed in the last year? Love it. What was the most exciting project you worked on? What do you want to do more of in 2022? What do you want to do less of in 2022? Where do you see yourself in three years? Mm-hmm. What's your vision? Now, I think, I think some of these questions probably are more uh, or better suited for support staff than teachers. Some of these probably wouldn't apply as much to teachers. You know, the question like what project most excited you this past year? Well, you know, if they're teaching 25 private students, they might not have had a project. Yeah, but I'd push back. But would say what students? <laughs> yeah, what students yes, are you really proud of? I think you could absolutely do that, dude. I think it's a great question. Well, I think that's just a reforming of the question and a really, really good one for, for the teacher. And I think, Nate, I want you to weigh in here in just a minute on how you'd reform some of these questions for teachers or, or things of that nature. But to kind of finish the thought, the train of thought we're on before I pop it back over to you, um, that's just, I think that's a sampling of some of the questions. And, and this is where I'm going to put on my coaching hat because that's really where I have a lot of passion. It is surprising to me, even with studio owners that are in the high six figures, low seven figures, mids, uh, you know, um, how often I find that they probably already have a system that they're doing this, but they don't think it's as good as it could be. And so I do get really basic questions like this. And the thing that, to get to the point, the thing that surprises me is how often that, um, I see people operating kind of from the, from, from the seat of their pants where they haven't done, yeah. they haven't prepared in advance for it. They're, they're not thinking about their business any farther than 15 to 30 days out from where they're at currently. Yeah. And so these questions come up and there's a real shock because there isn't a systematic nature to the way they're running the business. There isn't a systematic nature to the way that they're dealing with staff. They don't have you know vision for that. And of course I'm not painting with a broad brush, everybody I'm sure, you know, 
if there's a person out there listening who says, well, I do all of that, they're probably not offended because they're, you know, super grounded and everything. But, but more often than not, I do get folks where they feel, they, they feel a little bit flat-footed or they don't feel that they're doing the best job. And what I'd say is Google is your friend. A lot of the questions that I just rattled off there, they're now second nature to me because at a certain point, I Googled, found 100 different questions, rejected 90 of them, but the 10 that were really meaningful for my company, I kept. And so it's just a matter of being persistent, seeing what works. There's questions I used to ask that I don't ask anymore because as it turns out, it wasn't actually that good a question to ask for their role and you know, school of hard knocks and, and, um, and learning through experience. I've come to the ones that are meaningful for what we do. And now we've got just a really great team of excited people who know that I'm on their side and that I'm not afraid to ask those questions. And I can kind of smoothly move through these conversations, even though if I'm being honest, they still do in the initial asking of them, there might be a little rise of like, oh, that conversation again. But I think if you come in with a really solid plan, you work that plan, just like, you know, the four or five steps I just gave, it doesn't have to be a hard conversation. It doesn't have to be an uncomfortable conversation, but it will be a lot easier to have if it's in the context of a really great environment and a professional, friendly relationship that you have with those, with those team members. Yeah. So can I repeat back oh, just please. Four or three points that I hear you sharing that I think yeah. are just, they need to be highlighted with one of those huge jumbo highlighters. The first is you're pointing out that you already have an open, transparent, conversational relationship with your staff and your team. This is something that I find still um, bums me out sometimes in my workplace where, you know, I'll show up like I literally still do desk duty. I love it. I get to see families. I get to see the Mm. kids. We're in our community room. It's a really um, valuable, you know, handful of hours I might spend in a week, right? Um, But what I'll notice is that I don't take the time as the teachers are coming and going to just pause for like three minutes and be like, how you doing? And then having a nice casual conversation because we'll sort of be in work mode, right? So the first thing I hear you saying is like, remember, these are relationships that you're hoping to maintain for a long period of time. So, you know, relationships are built on sharing. It's a two-way street right? You share that you love Dune, somebody else shares what they did last night, you know, like this thing. And then that makes the conversation when then when that employee comes to you and says, I think I deserve a raise, a much easier one because you're already comfortable um, talking to these people. So that's the first thing I hear highlighted. The second thing I hear you say that is so valuable is, and it reminded me of this great coaching I got from um, a friend of mine, Amy, who's head of HR or was head of HR at Robinhood, which is the the nonprofit. Investing app. Yeah. Right. Well, no, not the investing app. Good. They're, they're on the scene late. Well, they were on the scene, whatever, nine months ago, but no, Robinhood's a, uh, is a, is a, a big NGO here in New York. Oh, okay. A lot of good work. Um, and so I don't even, you know, she had a lot of employees that she was working with and she was head of HR mm-hmm. and she came and coached uh, me and my team just on this very, topic, like how do you have these meetings? And she said, you know, number one, your questions, and you're saying you got to send them questions. You got to know that they're, they need to know that they're stepping into this conversation. It's totally unfair to be like, hey, will you step into my office? I mean, we don't really have offices. Step into my music studio. And then all of a sudden spring a question on them. But her point was like, you can ask very, keep it super simple. Just what you said. What do you feel like you're excelling at? 
What do you feel like you need to work on? And then when you're done, you can be like, okay, we agree you're doing great here. We both agree that these are a couple of things you need to work on. How about, getting back to the original question, how about we link financial compensation to evidence of you improving on the things that you say you need to improve on? Right? So now we're having a conversation where it's like, it's actually linked to something. It's just not cash in the ether. It's not like, okay, you should just get more money. Um, And then the last point you made, and you sort of like moved quickly through it, but I think it's so important. You said people aren't prepared for this. Well, here's the deal. If you and I get a question from an employee like this one, guess what? We're going to get the question again and again and again. (laughs) So rest assured, my friends, if we've heard the question, it's going to come up again. So we might as well come up with some kind of system to address the question, even if it's a sort of B minus system to start, it is a hell of better than no system at all. And being, as you put it, Daniel, flat footed the next time it comes along, you know? Um, So consistency is key. Build some kind of super simple system for this and then just try desperately to test it, you know, once a year, once every six months. It doesn't ever need to be more than that. You know, not for a music school with, you know, 10 teachers and three staff. Once a year is plenty to have these conversations. Um, so those were really, anyways, that was super, those were super good points, Daniel. And um, I want to, can I share just a personal story of like kind of a pain point to maybe close out our episode on this? I was just thinking it might be time to end this thing. Okay. Yeah. I don't even know. We've probably been going way too long, but anyways. There's a lot of good stuff to talk. I mean, it's just such a good question. Um, So this happened last May where three of our longtime teachers came. I think I shared this with you, came to me and said, Nate, you know, this, we need to get paid more. But they, they connected with one another and then they came as a team and they're like, we need to get paid more. Hmm. Otherwise we can't stay past this season. And they were like, I just, you know, I've, I've known these, some of them have been here for five years or more and they're highly valued. They're full-time teachers. They teach between, you know, um, 19 and 23 hours a week or something like that. Right. Which is a lot like for us, you know, that's the cutoff. You can't teach more than 23 to 25 hours would be tops. Mm. And that'd be a quality teacher, you know, I mean, at any rate, so they came to me and and that hurt because it felt like I was being sort almost sort of ambushed. Like ganged up on almost. Yeah, ganged up and, and I was ambushed. Like, yeah. And I was literally driving home from our place in Maine with my <laughs> daughter and her three friends. And we were stopping for ice cream. And I get this, you know, email. Mm. And and I was just like, oh man, it was a total gut punch. And um I share this story because they for two reasons one they felt comfortable enough in our relationship to say here's where we've reached and we're reaching out to you to because it wasn't uh, malicious not at all they were saying we believe we're valuable we believe in what you're doing we think we want to be here and this Mm -hmm. is what we need in order to stay second of all um it was a little bit of, it was one of those moments for me where I was like, okay, wait, 
we had a clear roadmap of raises for them, you know, but for some reason they weren't, I, I hadn't made it clear. They hadn't seen that that was on the table, even though I had discussed it at some point. And honestly, between you and I, Daniel, I got sidetracked, you know, the pandemic, like I had other priorities, you know, one of which was keeping the business afloat, right? <laughs> so like- I was there for part of that. Yeah, so yeah, were, I know exactly I know. what you're you were totally there. And so so I took my eyes off, honestly, the most important piece in our business, which are the people. Mm. You know, And so I had to sit with it for a hot minute. It's not like I wrote them back right away. Um, but mm. I, uh, but I, this, let me just say precisely what I did. I did write them back immediately, and I booked a time to meet. Mm. So I was like, you know, the following... Tuesday or whatever at 9 a.m. Can we all get together and talk about it? So now I had a deadline to respond, right? I couldn't use my avoidance tendencies to be like, "Ah." 100%. Okay. Secondly, I went back through all of these questions that we've talked about um, and asked myself, you know, how has their performance been? How has their retention been? Um, You know, what is like, how long have they been with us? Um, are they actually asking for much more than I was already intending to pay them anyways on schedule? Uh, and what happened was it got me, it made me realize that, oh, wait, they're not actually asking for that much more than I was already intending to pay them. But, you know, say six months later, that's number one. Mm. And number two, uh, it gave us an opportunity to double down on our mission as a school. And for me to say, I appreciate that you guys are all in. That was what the conversation was about. It wasn't about, do you deserve the money? It was about, mm-hmm. tell me, like, I let's talk about your commitment to our mission. And, and how... You know, you know, if we can move forward, if the company can afford to do this, mind you, it's not me paying them. It's the company. If the company can afford to do this, what can we realize together over the that next is, three years? That is a brilliant reframe. And I think it almost would be easy to look at what you said there and thought, oh, that was a solution. Okay. If, if that reframe doesn't hit you like a ton of bricks, um, I think hit the back button on the podcast and listen to that again, because that is taking what could be an uncomfortable or disastrous conversation and keeping everyone focused on the goal. And it is an evidence of, of your commitment to running a systematic values-based business versus just putting out fires. But all you will ever be doing is putting out fires if you're not operating from first principles, if you're not operating from a systematic point of view. And so really the punchline of all this is that um, any troubleshooting that comes up for for a school or any business um, is often an evidence that a deeper, more foundational that some, yeah, that something deeper and more foundational is missing. Yeah, and an opportunity, um, right? But it is an opportunity, and and it doesn't. Oh, well, it, it might, but I'm just going to say this at the risk of being wrong. It probably doesn't matter what 
situation or fire is staring you in the face right now, each one of those is an opportunity to start that systems values-based foundational-based business, mm-hmm. at least in that area. If you'll do that extra work of, of not just trying to solve the problem at the surface level, but looking below it and saying, well, how, how can I solve this problem once and for all? And then looking at the spider web of, of implications that has for other areas of the business and just starting to backfill that out systematically. And, and, you know, and then one day you wake up and everything is running super smoothly and you've got a team that loves you and you've got families that are really committed to staying in the school. Um, and uh, it's a lot better than, or it can be better over time. If you, if you have that commitment to going deeper. Yeah. And, and Daniel, you know what? We're going to, uh, there will be many more teachers that come ask for a raise. Yeah. And it's going to happen over and over and over. And imagine just looking forward to the conversation. A hundred percent. That's your, that's what you, you're like a system that runs well, where people love being there. People feel safe coming to you and having that conversation. And guess what? Your palms, you know, aren't totally sweaty and you're not just counting the minutes to get out of it. hundred <laughs> percent. Yeah. Right. Well, thank you, Daniel. Another, well, as rock solid, I mean, we covered a lot there, but I, hopefully people are leaving with one or two concrete tools to address that conversation. Use. Yeah, that they can use because it's going to come up in the next month or two. Three, 100%. Four, you know? Yeah. And I'll say that, you know, let's say we get three, five, seven questions coming in at, you know, grymusicstudio.com slash seven FMS. If we get, if I'd say if we get five questions coming in, either an objection to something we've said, someone asking for greater nuance, um, someone asking for uh, a clarification or, or just a question around this. If we had enough, you know, let's say within the next month after this was published, I'd be more than happy to, uh, to perhaps do just a Q&A episode around this or do a live Q&A with the people who send them in. So mm. how does that sound to you, Nate? That would be, I would love to do a live Q&A too. But yeah, awesome. Totally down. Cool. All right. Well, let's call it a wrap and uh, we'll see you next time. Okay. Thank you all. Hey, it's Nate again. You know, every year at Brooklyn Music Factory, we get dozens and dozens of great reviews from our families. And you want to know how? Because we ask them. And they're happy to leave a review because of the positive impact that we've made on them. And so now... I have a simple ask for you. If this podcast, the 7FMS podcast, was helpful to you, would you mind leaving a review for Daniel and I? And please, share the podcast with another music school owner that you think might benefit. It's one of the best ways that you can support us. We appreciate it.